do you view your own success? Are you leading with compassion or are you considered ruthless? There is plenty of room for both types of leaders, but the best way to lead successfully is to balance boldness and integrity, using kindness and compassion to earn respect. Combine this with a go-getter, visionary, and aggressive drive to stay competitive. Welcome to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks. We'll use the ideas heard today and in this series to help you use every advantage to achieve the best end result. Now, here's your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Welcome to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I am your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and very grateful that you've joined us today. We are in for a treat. We're going to be having our guest author on, and that is Dr. Suzanne Doyle Morris, and she is the author of the brand new book, The Con Job, and that's about getting ahead for competence in a world obsessed with confidence. Now, she is focused on helping professional women get the roles they want and the recognition they deserve. And she's helped women move into senior roles in over 50 organizations in the UK, Europe, and the US with a key focus in the areas of STEM and legal and financial services. Now, her PhD from the University of Cambridge helped her look at the experiences of women who are in male-dominated fields. She has, over the last 25 years, helped organizations improve their gender balance, particularly at that senior level. And in time, she also has written two other books. Let me give you the title of those books because I think you're going to want to pick those up too. Um, One of her other books is Beyond the Boys Club, Achieving Career Success as a Woman Working in a Male-Dominated Field. And the other book, The Female Breadwinner, How They Make Relationships Work and Why They Are the Future of the Modern Workplace. All three books are available on Amazon. Today, we're going to talk about the con job. And when you want more, go out to her YouTube channel because that's where she also shares some of her best tips from their client, from her clients that have just had stellar careers. So, Dr. Doyle Morris, welcome to today's show. Thank you for having me today, Kathy. Oh, it's my pleasure. Once I read your book, I was just salivating of, oh, we're going to get this unpackaged <laughs> a bit, and it's a big, big topic, and it might not take us where the audience thinks we're going to go, and it certainly just right out of the gate took me on a different course than I expected. Um, So let's unpackage what I mean by that. And I think it starts out with a really great quote from Facebook, describes your book as a brilliant myth buster. So what are some of the myths this book particularly actually takes care of in busting for us? Wow. Okay. So where do we start with myths? (laughs) There's so many workplace myths. So the one I look at really is that confidence is the key to success, Um, that we all need confidence. And as long as you have confidence in yourself, everything will be all right. I mean, those are three to unpack right there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I just think that this is so important for us to look at because we all assume we will get ahead if we have more confidence. And actually, I'm here to tell you, focus on your competence 
That is your skills, your expertise, your know-how. Um, and that's the thing that we need to not only focus on, but we want, need to value in each other so much more than we do. Yeah, I uh, just unpackaging kind of the difference between what the original definition of confidence meant back in the 15th century and how it's really been uh, manipulated in today's world um, where we're really building an unstable foundation if what we're relying on is confidence. So can you speak to that? In other words, how did that definition of confidence where it was tied to trust of something or someone, how has it been used today versus back in the 15th century and kind of led us on a path that isn't as stable as we'd like to see? Yeah, I talk about unstable. So I think what's interesting is that we know from the history, and I'm not going to get too deep into history and bore all your listeners, but realistically, the word confidence only ever historically meant the trust you place in other people. That is, I have confidence in her or him. I trust them. I know they'll do the right thing. It's only a very recent adaptation where one could display confidence. That is, that I can show you through my bravado or through how I talk about myself and self-promote that I have confidence. That was only very secondary and only very recent as something you you were going for. You really only ever wanted to have for people to have confidence in you. It wasn't something that you wore yourself and said, "Hey, look at me, world! I have confidence." That was just never. That was an anathema. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think we're worse off for it. The fact that it is no longer an anathema, and that's the confidence most people now aspire to. Right. Without even realizing it, I think you can get caught up in in the culture um, where it's confident-based, and um, there's certainly nothing wrong with having a a beautiful exterior appearance, but I kind of liken it to um, someone who wins a beauty contest and all of their winning and all of their accolades really came from their outward beauty, not their inner beauty. And so when that fades, the confidence fades pretty doggone quickly. But yet mm. if you, and, and, and I'm thinking of an example in my, in my hometown, <laughs> I have a, a young woman who is going into a national, um, I guess, international beauty contest. But she threw her hat in the ring, this is the funny thing, just on a whim as a kind of a little bit of a public relations because she wants to be in communication. Mm -hmm. And her confidence is built on the inside of her, not the outside. She has outward beauty oozes the outward beauty. (laughs) But when that beauty fades she has confidence of of herself as a woman. She played volleyball on a um, collegiate team and was a real leader in her, her university. And so her reliance on her beauty just, it didn't exist. It doesn't define her. And I kind of look at this as a workplace correlation when I was going through your book. I realized how quickly... If you don't have the competence, that confidence is going to fade pretty pretty quickly because it's pretty quickly. you're relying on others, right, for the feedback of confidence. 
Definitely, definitely. So I think you've uh, you've mentioned several things. Like one of the things is that beauty beauty contest analogy, and I've never thought about it that way. But that's a good way to think of it, which is that, ironically, the part of a beauty contest that everybody thinks is a big joke, um, which is when you ask the contestants what they want for the world or what they want to do, people laugh at, that that's even included. But really. That's all that we should all be judged on, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> is their answers in that moment. Because you're very right, the confidence, the the outer outer um, the outer uh, shell really can fade. But I think what you've picked up on there is something that really surprised me when I was writing the book, which was that there is an inverse relation between confidence and competence. So what that means essentially is that the more one goes up the more the other one goes down. So having more confidence doesn't make you better at anything. It just means you think you're better. (laughs) And that's not what we need to reward in society, but certainly where I look at it is in the workplace in particular, Um, that sense that, oh, I'm great. And realistically, what the research shows is the better you think you are at things, meaning your confidence improves, the less you focus on actually being good at those skills. Because remember, you can blag it, you can wing it, you can make it up as you go along because you've got this. Does that make sense? (laughs) It certainly does. And I think you've unpackaged it quite beautifully in the book because – the the way that I operate when I when I go and and um, deliver a keynote or deliver a day's worth of training for Clemmer leadership, I feel incredibly confident when I walk in the room, if I have prepared almost over-prepared with the client. I've done all the research. I Mm. took my time. I didn't cram for the test, let's say. But Mm. if I found myself in a very short window of turnaround or I let exterior circumstance um, really, I went victim to my time and didn't prepare as well for a meeting or prepare as well for a delivery, my confidence in myself is low. And that's what I saw when when you get on stage, I think you mentioned kind of a 90-10 rule that your preparation is around 90% before your delivery. Would would you share a little bit about how that works at your confidence slash competent level? So uh, that's a a great analogy. I mean, essentially, I think that's very true. So when I go on stage, I'm confident in that moment. But realistically, just as you said, it's because I've done the prep. So people will come up to me afterwards and they'll say, oh, you came across this really confidently. And I think, God, that's just a show in so many ways. Because actually, the only thing that gives me the sense of credence that I'm worth being up there is the prep, just like you said, Kathy. It's the fact that, yes, you saw me speak for, let's say, 30 minutes. But realistically, what you didn't see is the fact that I practiced that speech probably half a dozen times, even though I've done it many, many times before that. Just in that past week, I focused on questions I've received from audience in the past so that I prepare for those should they come up again. I look at who else is going to be on my panel so that I can prepare for for questions for them or other points I want to make when they're on the stage too. So there's just so much prep. And I think what worries me is that Often, the more senior you become, but also more specifically, the more confident you become, 
the less you worry about any of that. And what struck me, struck me so much when I wrote the book was that research bears that out, that the mm. people who are the most confident are the least likely to do the prep. Mm-hmm. And that's well, something I think yeah. we should be worrying, we should all worry about. Exactly, exactly. I think once you lose that beginner's mindset, that that's the beginning of the end for you. And you, and you don't see it coming. And, and I think that's an easy thing to observe in others. For me, mm-hmm. I find it more challenging to be self-reflective. Um, I think I'm pretty self-reflective, but my guess is I'm not as self-reflective as I wish I were. And so um, one of the things that you shared, I think, is so powerful, and that's the the very famous quote by Maya Angelou, and that's when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And you really underscored the word shows and pick up on that word. Can you speak to that quote and how that ties into your book? And then we'll go to a break. So for me, that's about people giving you the evidence, right? Because we can all talk about how we want world peace or how we care about our team or how leadership really matters to us. But if we don't walk the walk, then actually believe that. Because mm-hmm. it's really easy. Talk is cheap, Kathy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. watch how I actually do what I'm doing. And then put your faith in that. Believe that. And I think right. Maya certainly got it. And I think we'd all do really well to get it, too. Yeah. And I'm glad you put that in your book. That's a lesson. It took me a long time to really, to really practice that lesson. You know, to ask mm. myself, what is it that they're showing me? And what is it that they're trying to, um, what is it that they're actually doing? And Brian Clemmer would always say, results, often harsh, but always fair. You make Mm -hmm. your judgments on the results that are showing up in your life, your own results and the results of others, because that's the only thing that you can make a forward moving judgment by. So you have been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with our guest host, Dr. Suzanne Doyle Morris. Please stay tuned for more. We're going to start unpackaging how this particular myth affects women in the workplace. Stay tuned for more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Kathy Fairbanks is available to speak for your event or organization. Kathy is the Director of Client Solutions for Clemmer & Associates Leadership Seminars. Kathy and her corporate team provides experiential training introductions to clients worldwide in order to support them in achieving their desired goals. Put Kathy Fairbanks to work for you. Call 800-577-5447 or send an email to Kathy at clemmer.com. The next step for growth is yours. Call 800-577-5447 or email Kathy at klemmer.com. Leadership development isn't limited to people in the executive suites or corporate boardrooms. Employees throughout a company recognize their role in fulfilling the company's mission. Effective leadership is a quality that must be shared by employees from the top down. Clemmer & Associates Corporate Mastery Workshop focuses on key topics to equip each student's development into a highly productive and ethical leader. For more information, visit Clemmer.com. That's K-L-E-M-M-E-R.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. You've been listening to your host, Kathy Fairbanks, along with our guest, Dr. Suzanne Doyle Morris. Now, Suzanne has has recently launched her book, The Con Job, Getting Ahead for Competence in a World Obsessed with Confidence. This is a powerful read. I, I, I have to tell you, if you're standing in a bookstore these days and um, or looking on Amazon and you just peruse the chapter titles and the sub-chapter content of these chapters, it is rich. You, it's it's a good read, even the index, and so uh, pick it up. It's it's definitely a book you want to have. So, Suzanne, let's talk about this issue of confidence, and it's not confidence versus competence. It's really mastering both sets and how they interplay. Um, and I guess the question is: Does it affect one gender more than another, one culture more than another? How does this really play out? Is it a status quo, non-status quo? Uh, unpackage that a little bit for us. So, for me, it does affect certain groups of people individually uh, and d- differently. And you know, I feel like the best thing I could do is tell you how I even got into this, which was. Please. Many years ago, I was doing some some consultancy for a law firm, and I said, "What's your issue?" And they said, "We're not getting many women into senior part in partnership levels." And I said, "Well, what's the issue?" They said, "Well, the funny thing is, the women are actually great. Um, they just don't. I think they, they just don't have much confidence." And I said, "Well, I'll look at that." And I interviewed both men and women, and I'd ask the men on. And women individually, I'd say, "Are you confident you could make it to partnership here?" And the guys would say, "Yeah, I, you know, I'm getting some mentoring. I mean, it's unofficial, but this guy helps me out when I need to. I see, you know, there's there's a few guys that I I, I think I identify with who who look like the kind of guy I want to become. But when I spoke to women, they would say." you know what, there's not many people who work flexibly here. There's even fewer with whom I identify. Um, I'm not confident I will get to partnership here, but I think I will get to it somewhere. And for me, that really opened up, okay, what these women are seeing, which is nobody at the top who looks like them, is impacting the way they perceive their reality in the future. And, and realistically, that, what that ends up meaning is that the way they get interpreted is that they're lacking confidence. Rather than us saying what's going on in the organization, which means that people are going, getting ahead inequitably, and let's address that 
And then suddenly, I'm quite certain the uh, the confidence issue would cease to become an issue. It wouldn't be an issue anymore if we treated people equi- equitably and they were getting ahead at the right levels. That makes so, so for me, it is really yeah. a group a, a group dynamic issue. Um, and women and men are, are a big area. But when I researched the book, what I also found is it went deeper than that. And it started looking at, I looked at different racial groups. I looked at different ages. I looked at people from different cultural backgrounds. And I thought this is so much richer than just gender. Um, and, and that was really interesting to me because, you know, I don't have to tell you Kathy, but, the, you know, the way we talk about women when they're confident is so different than the way we talk about um, what I call in the book status quo men. That tends to be white, heterosexual, able-bodied um, men. And it leaves out every, almost everyone else. And if you want to know what I mean by leave out, if a man like that, a status quo man, shows confidence, we describe him as being forthright and single-minded or determined. That's when he shows confidence. However, when a person from a Latinx background shows those same behaviors, we describe them as spicy or fiery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or when someone from an African-American background shows them, we describe them as being angry or difficult, or uppity. Mm -hmm. And then for women, generally we have a huge litany of words that we use to describe confident women. I'm pretty sure I don't have to bore you with all of them. They range from, you know, sassy, bitchy, pushy. (laughs) There's just so many phrases we use for women who deign to have an opinion and share it. (laughs) Right, right. And, um... Yeah, I'm 60 years old, so I've experienced some of that. I was also blessed to be raised in a household with um, three young girls, with a mother and father who were very empowering. And, Mm. you know, kudos to my father for really instilling in the the three of us, we can do anything we want to do, gender specific, Mm. it doesn't matter. And and I realized later in life what a blessing that was because I had Mm. that very empowered childhood. And then Mm -hmm. when I hit the doorsteps of the corporate world and financial services, literally, (laughs) I can remember one time saying to one of my, my male counterparts, hey, I want this, this deal to happen, but I need you. I need your suit to show up at the meeting and it's going to look like I report to you because this is in the railroad industry, very male dominated, Mm. and they don't want to give me the time of day. So I'm Mm. the lead on this, but it's not going to look like I'm the lead on this. And yes, I won the deal. It was a strategic move, but yet I was haunted because I felt going in there alone as a female, wasn't going to win the deal. And to this day, I don't mm. think it would have. Um, that was mm. back in the 80s, and that's the way it was. Today, mm. at 60, I have the confidence that I can maneuver that because it is the confidence factor and the competence factor. I don't think I had the competence back then to know how to win it on my own. Does that make sense? Mm, it does, certainly. So I think there's, I think what we're, but it makes sense, but it's such a waste, right? Yes, <laughs> what I think totally. is that this means that the workplace is, it's part of the reason why the workplace can be very inequitable, is that while we like to encourage people 
uh, to be more confident. And we teach everyone. We say, oh, be more confident. Here's some more confidence training, blah, blah, blah. You know, we tell people that's what you're missing. That is a huge red herring because what it does is it teaches groups your problem is confidence, Mm -hmm. and that's a far easier sell. If I'm a middle manager and I say, you know what, I would love to have promoted Kathy. She just needed more confidence. Well, then it becomes Kathy's fault that she's not getting ahead. And it means I don't have to do a damn thing to help her as a manager, nor do I have to look at the systems that we have in this organization that mean that the Kyles are much much more likely to get ahead than the Kathy's. And that's what holds people back, is that us, us not looking at those bigger systemic issues and the impact they have on confidence. Right. And I look back at it, you know, I bought into, um, I couldn't do this on, on my own. Now, that was a lesson I learned once, thankfully. And, um, yeah, it just was a, when I was reading your book, it was a reflection of my professional career. So mm. one of the questions that I want to to make sure that we get addressed, because I think this can be treated very differently, and you touched upon it um, in, in meetings, how do you get noticed and stop other people from stealing your ideas? Or how do you express a disagreement in a meeting or an annoyance in a meeting without someone looking at you where you're too emotional or, oh, you know, they, they can say some really nasty things um, and it has nothing to do with your emotions in it. So how do you navigate meetings that can be um, tough in a male-dominated field when you're a female? So that's a that's a perennial question I get actually, and I think part of it is recognizing that feeling or emotion, to use your word, is not something we, women don't have a monopoly on it. Men mm-hmm. get have emotion too, and they show it. That shows up in work too, but it, they describe get described differently. They're being passionate. They're being forthright. They're not backing down. Those are all driven largely by emotion. But because they are status quo men, we give them a respect around it um, that we don't give it to women. I mean, it's part of the reason I think that the word intuition gets a bad rap. It's because we mm-hmm. tend to associate it with women's intuition, and that sounds so light. But I can tell you I can make the same darn decisions and get respected if I say I'm going with my gut because mm-hmm. that sounds much harder and more masculine in the way I'm describing it. But the driver is the same thing. So in those meetings, I think the key is focusing on what is the evidence you're using to back up your claim. So I love the power of the word when. Um, so when is a really powerful tool because it gives context. So if you disagree or you feel yourself needing to make a point, you might want to say, well, I saw a similar issue when I was in another team or when I was in that last company, we had a similar issue or give some context to where it's coming from because unfortunately, while confidence is something everybody says they want, it doesn't get received or interpreted equally well from everyone. So it's particularly well received when you're status quo men, but almost everybody else, not so well received. So give the evidence for why you're saying the things that you are doing. And I think that's really important and it helps. It's a way of grounding what you're saying in fact 
and history and, above all, competence. So you're showing that you're coming from a place of not just passion and feeling, but you're coming from a place of, I know what I'm talking about because I saw this in an article or in another discussion with another client or a previous role. Give them the context so they can say, oh, I guess Kathy knows what she's talking about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like validating and providing Mm. the evidence that, yeah, you do know what you're talking about. So I love that. I love that. Well, share with me, because I've, I've seen this. It doesn't happen every time, not at all, but it happens sometimes. And tell me why you think senior women pull up the ladder after themselves. So I think that that in itself, we you can see that, but I think what it's more of a myth than people think it is. Research shows that it's not nearly as common as people think. In fact, research shows that when looked at male and female leaders, senior leaders, actually women are doing better when they look at uh, bigger metadata around big studies of leadership. Female leaders are, as a whole, judged much more favorably than men as a whole. And when we're talking about uh, on the whole, I'm talking thousands and thousands of research studies that look at 360 feedback. On average, women are doing better in the way they're regarded by their direct reports. Pulling up the ladder is slightly different. And what I would say about that is that I think that for all groups, when you are not in the status quo, we perceive that there's not very much room at the top. So so it's far easier for me to fight, have an insight with the only other woman who is on the board than it is for me to fight with the other eight men who are also on the board and for me to question why there's only two of us and eight of them. (laughs) It becomes far easier. And you see this, uh, realistically, you see this with lots of minority groups. Um, who where infighting is much more common because that's so much more acceptable but much more feasible for them to, I hate to say it, but almost fight for the scraps of power between mm. them rather than mm-hmm. challenge the people who are running the table in the first place. Right. I've seen it play out that way um, without a doubt. Well, you have been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with your host, Kathy Fairbanks. We're going to go into a break and when we come back, we're going to unpackage this book a bit more. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Kathy Fairbanks is available to speak for your event or organization. Kathy is the Director of Client Solutions for Clemmer & Associates Leadership Seminars. Kathy and her corporate team provides experiential training introductions to clients worldwide in order to support them in achieving their desired goals. Put Kathy Fairbanks to work for you. Call 800-577-5447 or send an email to Kathy at clemmer.com. The next step for growth is yours. Call 800-577-5447 or email Kathy at klemmer.com. Leadership development isn't limited to people in the executive suites or corporate boardrooms. Employees throughout a company recognize their role in fulfilling the company's mission. Effective leadership is a quality that must be shared by employees from the top down. 
Clemmer & Associates Corporate Mastery Workshop focuses on key topics to equip each student's development into a highly productive and ethical leader. For more information, visit Clemmer.com. That's K-L-E-M-M-E-R.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. You've been listening to our guest, Dr. Suzanne Doyle Morris, and she wrote the book, The Con Job, Getting Ahead in, for Confidence in a World Obsessed with Confidence. So when we were talking, one of the things that I want to explore a little bit is that imposter syndrome and how it can tie into uh, what's going on in a work life where you are building your competence, but you're not quite to the point where you're you know, ready for your next promotion, and that imposter syndrome can kick in. Can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, so I think it's one of the biggest uh, myths to think that imposter syndrome is always negative. I actually think it can be a bit of a superpower because it is what you need on your way to competence, that is skills. Uh, because frankly, you know what? When you talk about how good you are, it really doesn't matter how good you think you are. It only matters what other people, how other people. Uh, I've, I've got to be honest, between you and, you and I, Kathy, realistically, you and I, and everybody listening to this podcast haven't gotten ahead based on how great we think we are. We've only been ever been hired, fired, or promoted based on how good other people think we are. And so for me, going to your imposter syndrome means that you stay focused on improving all the time. And that's really very valuable. I mean, I think the, people say, I don't want to be the imposter syndrome. I think, well, what is the alternative being a self-important know-it-all who actually is behind the times in their knowledge because they've already got all this, I think that if that's the alternative, then I'll take imposter syndrome because it keeps me sharp. It keeps me focused on delivering my best game. And I think that, for me, that's what's valuable. Right, exactly. Now, one of the things, and I, I, I don't think this is gender specific. However, I think it can be viewed in, in different ways based on our culture. How is it that, let's say you're starting out in the working world, how is it that you toot your horn the right amount? In other words, you're not viewed as a braggart. One of, one of the things that we do in seminar is really letting people explore for their greatness, and then they get 
feedback almost immediately from complete strangers. And the student (laughs) is astounded by how spot on that feedback resonates with them. And we do ask them if there's something that in your little, you know, your notebook that doesn't resonate with you, if you don't feel like you're a bold leader and the world word bold it doesn't resonate with you, we want you to circle that word. Don't mark it out, but just circle that word. And what students tell us is how shocked they are that complete strangers were basically able to read their mail in about 35 minutes of just setting in a seminar and two or three minutes of setting in a small group together of four. So my, and, and one of the things that we say is we didn't see anybody walk in the room, start bragging about how great they are. So nobody was bragging, yet people picked up on the power and the character traits of strength from individuals. So how do you navigate that balance and be authentic, not a braggart, but make sure you're known for your accomplishments and your competence? So I think the the point where you just mentioned was fantastic, which is that let other people's words work for you in the first instance. So that's your feedback. And I think what I would advise and, and what I talk about in the book is use those words back to people. So if you're going for an interview or appraisals or things of that nature and somebody says, so what, how would you describe yourself? I wouldn't go in with, I describe myself as great or this or that or the other. I'd say, well, the most common thing that my former colleagues said about me was X. Or, well, I've often been told I'm Y, and let me give you evidence of, of, of what, to, what that's about. So to use other people's words back to describe yourself so that they know that this is coming from someone else and it's got some context rather than it being the self-promotion show. Because no one really wants a self-promotion show. No one ever really believes the self-promotion show. But use the words of other people and then give evidence for why they felt that way. Because as you said, it's hugely powerful when they start to realize that their mere actions, the way they hold themselves in the meetings, are showing that bold or whatever the phrase is that they want to identify with, that it's showing up for them just through their behaviors and actions. You don't always have to talk about, and another thing, I'm bold. (laughs) People Mm -hmm. can pick that up. Yeah, and they pick it up very quickly, and and they'll also pick up the negative aspects of of your character. Um, They pick up it all, and I think that tip right there, using other people's words, former colleagues, what other people have said, um, that is so powerful, and it lets you really showcase your accomplishments without coming across as a braggart or a know-it-all. You've been Mm -hmm. endorsed by others. So thanks for sharing that that tip, because I think that can make all the difference in the world of how someone is received. So let's talk about feedback and the value of feedback and um, how do we set aside the fear of feedback and what is the value of feedback? Would you share with us on that a bit? So I think what's really interesting is the research shows that your feedback is actually 
so much more indicative of how far you will go in an organization. The feedback you get, let's be really clear, this is 360 feedback. That is, it comes from other people around you, not just the senior people, but the people who may report to you and your peers as well. And that is a bigger determinant, lots of research shows, regarding how far you'll get than your self-appraisals to the point that when I work with companies, I often say, you know what, are you using self-appraisals? Eh, not, not usually worth their time, their, their time. Look at how people are doing according to 360s because that's where, you'll, that's where you will find your hidden stars. That's also where you can create that, create that self-awareness that we all need to have in much more than we currently do. Self-awareness is so key to being not just an authentic leader, but a leader that other people identify with and want to follow. I think, you know, you and I probably have both been in organizations where if you don't really believe in the leadership or identify with them in some way, you're not going to get give your, your extra, you're not going to go that extra mile or as HR types, and I like to call it that discretionary effort. If I don't feel for my team, if I don't identify the people leading it, I'm not going to go the, the you know, I'm not going to go that extra step, but I will if I identify and believe in that, in the person who's leading the team. Right. There's no doubt about it. And I've had the pleasure or peril of of working for both kinds of companies. And Mm. one of the things that I experienced a few years back, I had an opportunity to ask our CEO if she was open to some feedback. One of the the tools that we we, um, deliver to students at Clemmer is a tool called Open, Honest, Responsible Communication with an underscore of responsible communication. And the first step in that process is to secure permission to give someone feedback, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is off the cuff. I asked permission and I saw a couple of things happening that I didn't think supported our mission statement. And they were reflections of, of her. And she was open to the feedback. And I'll, I'll spare the details. It was something that I literally authentically had no other choice. Now, I also knew giving this feedback could have gotten me fired. All right? If someone was retaliatory or vindictive or revengeful, or embarrassed and wanted me to just go away, I could have easily been fired. Instead, she took the feedback, really digested it, course corrected on the spot, acknowledged it, and we had a much closer relationship after that. She knew she could trust me to tell her if her slip was showing and do it in a kind, loving, professional way. Now, I've worked for organizations where if I had attempted that, I would have been fired. But that's not Mm -hmm. the organization that I'm aligned with today. And that can be the value of feedback and trust in an organization when you have that going for you. Um, Mm. I read in your book that confidence and competence are just not enough that you also need to demonstrate, and this is when you're working up the professional ladder, how supportive you are of other people. 
Can you speak to the value of being of support of other people and how that ties in to confidence and competence? So I, th- I think that everybody wants to promote those who are going to be able to, to guide teams, to lead teams. And if you can't be behind other people, then you're just not ever going to be fit for, for, fit for purpose. Because frankly, you and I, no matter how senior we become, we never do anything in a, a vacuum. And we need other people. So if you can't give them the recognition that they deserve, then you're not worthy of, being, of getting ahead. And I think that's really a, a key point. None of us are exist in a vacuum and none of us work in a, um, you know, in a, you know, on our own. So I think you have to give not just recognition, but you have to give a humility to those who are around you, who on, on whom your success work, you know, on whom your success rests. And for me, that's really key. I mean, I think that what, what's interesting is that most people say when they want, you know, when they talk about, I want more confidence, and I know you do training and coaching as well, and I think what's so interesting is I used to hear all the time, it's probably the most single biggest um, request that I get from my clients is I'd like more confidence, but when I started unpacking that, I started recognizing that what people were saying was what they really want is I want to get heard, I want to get ahead, and I want credit for my ideas and my work. I think that's really what they're looking for. But what they say is they want confidence because they believe the two are equal. But really what they're looking for is better treatment. Right. So how do you redirect someone when either the manager is saying, you know, she needs more confidence or I want more confidence? How do you redirect them and kind of re-educate them and wire where it's competence that that is the, the leading marker here? So I think for me, you know, getting them to to start to to start to engage with that is to even start with what do you mean by confidence? Mm-hmm. So I interviewed a woman who was a senior HR director here in Scotland, and one of the things she said is that she had trouble. She had a, a key um, a, a key hire that she wanted to make in the senior team, and there was somebody on the decision making panel who just. Who, who said, I'm not sure they'll have the confidence to speak up when they have to talk to the board. And she mm-hmm. said, actually, I don't know that confidence is the main thing we should be hiring on, because the truth is this person will probably only ever have to present to the board twice. It's something we can coach her on as, as we go when it happens. But realistically, what was happening was that the other, the person against the new hire was putting so much value on this one key thing that he thought she didn't have and letting it drive his whole decision when she said, actually, I got much further when I asked him, what does confidence mean to you? And that unpicked a far richer theme of discussion than just writing this woman off as being not confident, hence she's not going to get the role. Because actually what he meant was this ability to speak to certain groups of people twice a year, she said, Mm -hmm. and once he could see how ridiculous it was and that she that she was very successful and everything else that would go into being a financial controller I can't remember the role she was playing that she was great with math she'd had good feedback from everyone she'd ever worked with blah 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 that she had all these other credits to her 
this one issue he had ceased to become the main thing. And and she said, and we hired her, and she has been fantastic. And the the board, when she does go up and per, um, and speak to them twice a year, they believe her completely because they know she knows her stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she doesn't have to have like this a bravado, you know. And these were one of the, this is one of the dozens and dozens and dozens of stories I I. I I heard, you know, I was lucky enough to interview nearly 40 leaders from over a dozen countries, because that was something that was really interesting to me, is the cultural difference in how we rate confidence. Um, and it turns out it wasn't as unanimous as, as people thought. And, and so, for me, the book is nothing but stories. I mean, I know I've been talking a lot about some of the theory and things of that nature, but a lot of them are just great yarns. Mm-hmm. about how people showed that competence was where it's out. And, and I got to mm-hmm. say, kudos to them, because that's a huge challenge in today's workplace. Well, and that's really one of the things I want to encourage people is to go out to the YouTube channel because it can, you you share a lot of your stories there and that can be powerful and that can be memorable. And I think we can find ourselves walking in similar shoes from time to time. And then we have a story that you've shared to tap into. Well, I can't believe it, but we're getting ready to start our last segment. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be back for more. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Kathy Fairbanks is available to speak for your event or organization. Kathy is the Director of Client Solutions for Clemmer & Associates Leadership Seminars. Kathy and her corporate team provides experiential training introductions to clients worldwide in order to support them in achieving their desired goals. Put Kathy Fairbanks to work for you. Call 800-577-5447 or send an email to Kathy at clemmer.com. The next step for growth is yours. Call 800-577-5447 or email Kathy at klemmer.com. Leadership development isn't limited to people in the executive suites or corporate boardrooms. Employees throughout a company recognize their role in fulfilling the company's mission. Effective leadership is a quality that must be shared by employees from the top down. Clemmer & Associates Corporate Mastery Workshop focuses on key topics to equip each student's development into a highly productive and ethical leader. For more information, visit Clemmer.com. That's K-L-E-M-M-E-R.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at compassionatesamuraishow.com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. 
Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I'm your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and we've been enjoying speaking with Dr. Suzanne Doyle Morris, and she's the author of her latest book, The Con Job, Getting Ahead for Competence in a World Obsessed with Confidence. Now, one of the things that I want to acknowledge in this show is we had the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Gator Ginsburg last Friday, and I think this is worthy of acknowledging some of the doors that the justice opened up for women and made a really huge difference. Some of the things in which Suzanne and I get to do today are privileged to do today. So I just wanted to honor the justice and and remind the world of some of the key uh, markers that she had in securing women's right. And this is not a complete list, but it's a short list here uh, where she helped up help women obtain a mortgage without a male co-signer. We could open a checking account without a male co-signer, start a business without a male co-signer, get a credit card without a male co-signer, obtain a business loan without a male co-signer, and obtain a job without gender-based discrimination. She, we can also now today obtain employment while we're pregnant. And I've certainly experienced um, being pregnant in the workforce can be a challenge. Um, Obtain birth control with having to obtain a husband's permission and not be forced to provide proof of sterilization to obtain employment. Wow. Pension benefits equal to male coworkers. And the last one I want to mention is equal consideration to be executors of your children's estates. That's a short list of what this tiny woman got accomplished in her 87 years of life. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And then I also want to acknowledge Dr. Doyle Morris's really passion for Writing this book, it certainly inspires passion in me, your passion for this work and this data and this research also inspires hope for change and forward growth. So share with me, where did that forward growth come from? So for me, if I can just pick up on what you mentioned about Bader Ginsburg, I completely agree. She was a real competence hero. Uh, you know, there's nobody who, who better personifies competence. I mean, one of the things people don't often know is that while her husband was a second-year second law student, she was helping him with his notes when she was a first-year law student and raising their four-year-old daughter. Like, she just did not stop she is amazing. And even when she was going through with some of her bouts of cancer, she would always schedule her treatments on a Friday simply so that she could recuperate and read in time to get back to court for the Monday. If that mm. doesn't speak to competence, I do not know what the heck does. Yeah. So thank you so much for mentioning her, Kathy. She, you know, we do, like you said, with all that list. We owe her, I would, I have to say, fundamentally, I believe so many listeners on this call, men and women, would have fundamentally different lives 
without the things that she was able to enact, mm-hmm. or even not enact when she won, you know, when she won the court case, but she was able to then influence, like the Lily Ledbetter Act, which came from something that she was ruled against on, but then she spoke to Congress and said, fix this, guys, you guys need to do this better. <laughs> right. No, no doubt about it. And her competence, I think it was why she was able to um, enroll other justices in, in seeing the law the way she saw it. Um, so let's finish out the show. I'd love it if you would, uh, you've uh, um, provided a gift for our listeners, and that's a download offer. So um, you're offering your first chapter as a free download mm-hmm. of this book so people can kind of chomp into it. What yeah. link will people people need to go to to uh, get the free download? So essentially, they just need to go to the website, inclusic.com. That's I-N-C-L-U-S-I-Q.com. And you can, if you go into the book section, you can get a free download of the first chapter, just to whet your appetite, see, does this sound interesting? You know, are there some good stories in this? And you'll probably also be able to see the um, the index, to use your phrase at the beginning, the kind of the list of chapters <laughs> and what I cover. But it's a lot, and it is made up of so many amazing stories of people in such different sectors, and they all have, you know, gotten ahead by focusing on their competence, their skills. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, uh, you have been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with our guest today, Dr. Suzanne Doyle Morris. I cannot recommend her book more highly. Please go out to inclusive.com and check out her book. And that's I-N-C-L-U-S-I-Q. And uh, I think we're going to need a part two, a part three, because there's so many more <laughs> topics um, that I'd love to explore with you. It has been our honor. And as we close out the show, until next week, we say knock them alive. Thank you for tuning into our show. You can hear the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, be sure to take action and create your own success.